Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Listen to Concord Matters. It's not quite the NBA playoffs, but it's almost as cool here on Worldwide KFUO because we got players like the subtle Peter Slayton, social media manager of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, the unanswerable Sean Smith of St. Paul's Wine Hill and Emmanuel West Point, both out there in Illinois, and Pastor Peter Eel of Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt with myself, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, seeking for concord trying to be of one mind in the spirit by means of the holy scriptures of our lord confessed in the history of the christian church and particularly by those reformers who brought the gospel back to the church of that dark ages where they had forgotten and fallen into the babylonian captivity of works righteousness we are emphasizing that distinction between justification by faith and justification by works as we continue in the apology of the augsburg confession we are picking up an article Five, parentheses, three, kind of four, paragraph 15. If you're following along in the uh, the reader's edition, it's on page one. Which What's the black one, guys? 103. Oh, geez, come on. Uh, page, <laughs> page 103. 103. If you, got, if you got the cover with this black, it's on page 103. If you got the cover that's gray, it's on page 131. That's the first and second edition. if editions. you have the pocket edition, it's... 127. Oh, there you go. <laughs> hey, look at that. Pastor Ill. Uh, with the pocket edition. There is no response for that, although it is angelic to spend more money by having multiple editions. Absolutely, especially when it comes from the sale room. <laughs> oh, there you go. Was it the CPH sale that just oh. recently happened? It was, was like a CPH sale a couple of, week, couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. Nice. Yeah, it's a really great room because you get the not-quite-perfect books, which reminds me of my need for justification, which is the article that the church stands or falls on. Wow, that's a nice segue. Yeah, well Saved done. It. Nice. Well done. <laughs> Saved it. There's no saving it. Uh, I was going to segue back out because you mentioned the, the less-than-perfectly-complete editions. I don't know how many years it was that the hymnal that I used has somebody else's name on it because I bought it. <laughs> it was a misprint, and I bought it there and reused it. Anyhow, so picking up at verse 15, uh, kind of coming out of last week, we we're, we are transitioning. Even depending on the on the uh, the version that you're looking at, this is Article Four, a response to the opponents rejecting our teaching on justification by grace through faith. But we're kind of moving into this. They accuse us of if we were to let this teaching happen no longer teaching good works at all. And we're moving into a, a rebuttal of that as well. You pointed out, I believe, also, Pastor Smith, last week, that, that this is called Article 3 in, in a couple of places as well, not because it comes in that order, but because it's pointing back to the the main article, right, the main meaning of Article 3 in the Augsburg Confession. It's really about Jesus, who he is, what he's done. Absolutely, yeah. That's good radio right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you always want me to talk about something else that I'm not ready to talk about. Jesus? <laughs> I'm Pastor always ready to talk about Jesus. He is Sorry. both the Son of God uh, and the Son of Man. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Hill. I, I thought you were going to actually like jump into what he says here, and then like I was going to give an example. I was trying. Uh, it's always good to get a little but background. Yes, it yeah, is I wasn't absolutely here last great week. background. Could you guys tell me what you covered? 
Yeah, it, it was all about Jesus. He's the center. Uh, he's our starting place. It's it's what matters. All right, cool. And, yeah. and we also talked quite a bit about law and gospel to give the, the <laughs> serious answer, yeah. uh, as that is what we're taking up in this section of of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And, and, and well, I, I was going to oh, say... Oh, you're ready to talk now, yeah. huh? <laughs> <laughs> Now that I got my brain back on straight. Um, but... Uh, I mean, it really is central, this issue that Christ is the center and our starting place. Because if you start anywhere else, you arrive at different conclusions. Where you begin is where you're going to go. Yes. And so that's why it's re- really truly is grounded in that article on Christ, who he is, what he's about. What does he come here for? St. Paul summarizes this well as he writes to Pastor Timothy. This is a trustworthy saying. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. That's our starting place. And so that's how we understand that the, the article of justification is the the article in which the church stands and falls on, because you cannot have a conversation about good works, how they happen, uh, their place, um, a right understanding of that article of faith, without understanding that we begin with Christ and his coming to do the work of justification. Yeah, there's no keeping of the law without the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit comes by means of the gospel, right? right? by means of the forgiveness of sins, word and sacrament, all those things. So, anything to add from last week, Pastor Hill? All right, so you can be... You can leave Pastor Smith as unanswerable since he was. And moving into paragraph 15. Thank you. I appreciate the laugh, Peter. That at least makes it seem like we're having a good time. <laughs> Sorry, the, the emphatic head nod with a knowing smile. Yeah, they can't <laughs> see that on the radio, Pastor Oh, that's Hill. too bad. Okay, I'll have to work on that. And we're not putting you on TV. Yeah, That's no. a really good thing. <laughs> paragraph 15, we're picking up there. We profess that the work of the law must be begun in us. Remember how I said at the start here, we are being accused of saying, since we're saved by grace, therefore the law doesn't matter. I mean, who's going to really do good works if if they're saved by the gospel? And, and so this movement here now where we're moving into is like, well, no, 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 we, we teach good works. We profess that the work of the law must be begun in us and that it must be kept continually more and more. At the same time, we also speak about both spiritual movements and our good works, uh, distinguishing between basically faith or the heart kind of, I don't know if I say being purified, but the heart coming to an understanding of his uncleanness and is resting upon the forgiveness of sins. That's one thing. And then what I do with my hands is another thing that, that may uh, be, a, how do I say this? It's, it's You can control what you do with your hands more than you can control what you do with your heart, right? So if I'm a thief and I get saved, I got to stop actually stealing. I mean, that, that needs to end, right? But it doesn't mean I'm not going to have, uh, if I happen to have kleptomania, struggle with the temptation to steal the rest of my life, right? So we, we distinguish between those two things. Therefore, to kind of answer the adversaries, the adversaries falsely charge that our theologians do not teach good works because we're talking about matters of the heart right now. We're talking about justification. We're talking about faith, right? We're not saying that thieves are free to steal. They wrongly accuse us of this. They not only require good works, that is us, but they also show how they can be done. I feel like we read that last week. I thought we were picking up at 15. Am I wrong about that? No. Uh, he he kind of says it a couple times. He repeated times, it. But, All right. Or, or All maybe, right. maybe we did. But it's it bears repeating. Can I jump in here? Yes. All right. So to give an example of this, and bear with me, I'm going to read. It's a little bit longer. But uh, you know, to, to say that Luther and the other theologians, and, and we have more copies of his sermons still around, uh, is not using exhortation and call to good works is just a false accusation. It's right. very clearly. I mean, just just read anything on uh, or his sermons on marriage or education or 
I mean, pretty much anything, you know, being a good citizen, there's clear exhortation towards right living there, right. righteous living. Um, and, and I want to give a little example of this if I, if I can, is that okay? You I'm, have my I'm, permission. I'm, all right. Thank you. I'm glad I have it. <laughs> I, it's fun to be a dictator. So, so here's what Luther says about being a true or false. Did, did you did want to talk to Smith? You put him in executive session. Look at that. Wow. He's gone. Thank you. Here's what Luther has to say about being a true or false Christian. He says, you must believe in Christ and live like a Christian. You must be righteous, both on the inside and on the outside. You must not be embarrassed of the Lord Christ and the Christian faith. If you don't believe in your heart, your entire life is a lie and you remain in darkness. You aren't righteous and you only appear to be a Christian. Your actions don't reflect your Christian faith. The world is crazy, foolish, and wild. It's filled with all kinds of evil, adultery, drunkenness, vindictiveness, and other sins. Some people no longer consider it a sin for people to cheat each other. Yet these same people want to be considered good Christians. Believe me, you're not fooling anyone but yourself. God isn't fooled or mocked. What's that from? That's from one of Martin Luther's sermons on John uh, chapter 1. Okay. And specifically from verse verse 47 there is what he's referencing. But, I mean, it, it's very clearly in his sermons he's exhorting. I mean, we don't do these foolish worldly things. We don't live like that. A true Christian uh, submits to God's word. I mean, it, it's right there. But you'll notice the context that comes in uh, if you were to read the longer exhortation or the longer excerpt of the sermon he grounds that in the gospel first and i would say going with with john the apostle right if we do sin we have an advocate with the father little children basically let us not do that right Right. but if we do it doesn't mean you're out of the faith because we're not talking about justification when when luther there is saying that you're out of the faith he's talking about somebody who has no conscience about this whatsoever Mm -hmm. it's like oh you told me i shouldn't steal well you know I'm free to steal. I can do what I want, right? Uh, Jesus forgives me. I can do what I want. That's unbelief. The uh, $10 theological word that we're just kind of circling around is antinomianism. Yeah, right. Uh, the nomos, uh, that's the Greek word for, for the law. And so if you are anti the law, if you think that Christians don't need the law after they come to faith, then you're an antinomian. Uh, and here we very clearly say we are not antinomians. Right. We do indeed teach good works. We exhort and encourage those good works to be done by Christians, not in order to be saved, but those are the good works prepared by God in heaven beforehand for us to do, according to Ephesians 2.10. Uh, yeah, 2.10. That's right. And this is exactly what we do. Uh, and at various times, Luther and the other Lutheran reformers were accused of being antinomians, of being soft on good works. And we absolutely aren't. Here's something that's helped me think through this here. Um, you guys, you know, tell me if I'm off base here. Now, it kind of goes off of what I said one of the last times, you know, when we're looking at the law itself and when God first gives, you know, the, the Ten Commandments. Um, I mentioned before, you know, it's, he starts with gospel. I have brought you out of Egypt um, into the promise, well, into the promised land later on. But Pastor Smith, you talked about being grounded in Christ. Well, Christ is that promised land. So there's that gospel right in the midst of that law. And what has helped me, and this is something I've kind of been thinking about a lot recently, is we tend to think of the law as this thing that's for me, that I must do that that it, that benefits me. This is what, what the papists were doing. You got to keep the law because it justifies you, it benefits you, it does this for you, and if you don't, you're out of the faith kind of stuff. But what if it's actually more of I am a slave to Christ now as a Christian in the gospel 
I am justified. I'm a slave to Christ. The law isn't for me. It's for my neighbor. It's for me to show that love to my neighbor. So I'm no longer, we still have this tendency to make the law about me and what I must do. And really it's like, no, this God says, this is my will for your life. This is how I want, this is the best way things work. Here's how I want you to live for your neighbor. Christianity isn't about us. It's about our neighbor at that point. Exactly. And you hit on this really good point that we, as the self-centered sinners that we are, very badly want to make the law about us. And so I want to do good works for my neighbor, not for my neighbor's benefit, but because that's how I check the box of being a good Christian. And I'm going to pick the good works I'm going to do, too. (laughs) Yeah, we get there, too. Uh, But we, we end up having this temptation to love our neighbor, not for our neighbor's good, Hmm. not for God's good, but for our good. I can love my neighbor because that is how I am a good Christian. And with good intentions, we make it all about us. And we don't give up uh, our own independence. And we don't say, I am a terrible sinner. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Instead, we say, oh yeah, I can do that. I can love my neighbor. I can tell my neighbor about Jesus. And I we end up hearing this quite a bit. You need to tell your neighbor about Jesus because that's what good Christians do. Not because otherwise your neighbor will be damned and have real spiritual problems, but instead you need to take good care of your neighbor because you need to be a good Christian. And it becomes inherently self-centered. We've just gone right back to the same error. Exactly. Yeah. May, may God in heaven indeed protect us from that uh, sin and shame and vice and deliver us from that kind of, of evil and selfishness. And, and it's still a tension there, too. Have you ever noticed, especially those who do short-term mission work and so forth when they talk about it, I think it reveals the nature of our sin-ridden heart when oftentimes you say, oh, yeah, I went and, and did this, but, you know, I really got more out of it, you know, than myself. Than yeah. I, yeah. You know, it was really good, the work that we did, but, you know, it's amazing how much I grew. And it's just like, why are you concerned about yourself at all? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it may indeed be a fruit that happens. I mean, you you have any experience in life and it's going to have an impact on you, right? I mean, any sort of interaction. But, uh, you know, to kind of make that a thing that we talk about, I think reveals the fact that we're really only doing it for ourselves in the first place. And I'm as guilty about this as anyone. And, it's our na- it's our nature. Right. That's what our human nature does. Yeah, and kill that sinner. Yeah. Put him to death, yeah. right? He, he's really not as helpful <laughs> as he sounds like he is to the world. Speaking of killing the sinner, the, the one caveat I would throw into your comment, Peter uh, Slayton, from earlier about the law is not for me, <clears throat> the law is still laid down for your flesh. And in that sure. sense, it's not for me as in goody goody. Right? <laughs> it's for me as it in still to, accuses. Yeah, me. it's to kill yeah. you. I mean, yeah. literally, it's yep. the hammer of God, and it's going to crush you. And God has very much spoken that for you, being redeemed into the freedom of the slavery of the Christian, as you said, well, sets our conscience free from that. But we still carry about that condemnation in us, which needs to be spoken. Which is why, uh, on two levels, we're not antinomian. We're not antinomian because we we do love the the law as a good guide, but we're also antinomian, not antinomian, in that we do love the law as a as a murder for the old Adam. I, th- I think we've just talked about one of the ways in which it crushes us mm. because we turn it into something for my own selfish benefit, as opposed to this is God's will for how the world should work. I mean, imagine if we all loved our neighbors in the way that the law lays out for us to do. And that our primary motivation was just to love them as opposed to, I want to live the way that I want to live. And that's 
pretty stark difference yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, even that, uh, okay, I'm being crushed right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> That's destroying me even saying that, that law right there. Uh, That's yeah. a really good point. Because the, the law does, we were talking about rewards earlier too, the law does bring a benefit. It does, the person who does go and confess Jesus will get something out of it. I think your point, Pastor Smith, is that we're putting the emphasis on what I'm getting out of it. So the law does bring that benefit, but if you put the law in a place where it's not supposed to be, namely, now I'm trying to justify some with mm-hmm. myself with it, now it's going to destroy you. It's not yep. going to bring you the benefit, right? It's going to do the opposite <laughs> of that. Uh, you're listening to Concord Matters on Worldwide KFU. I should have said this way back at the start. We'd love to have you give us a call, ask a question about the text, particularly 1-800-730-2727, or you can vociferously mock Pastor Smith. That is also uh, free to be done if you give a call. I'll get the other guys next time. You're just the, you're the guinea pig today. So, yeah, he, you can't you can't see on the radio the, the scathing look he gave me. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just like, it's not me this week. All right. Um you can also mock me, Pastor Smith. Feel free. The uh, uh, I'm going to pick up more text. You guys want more to say more? Please. A bit more. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> All right. So the result, the, the result of what? This is what he said a moment ago, that we teach good works, that we demonstrate publicly that they should be kept, how they're to be kept. The result of this is that it convicts hypocrites. That is, people who come into the church who are, are pretending to get something out of the grace, pretending to be Christian. They don't like it when we preach the law. It, it convicts them. It bothers them. It maybe even makes them angry. Who, for, by their own powers, they're trying to fulfill the law. And now he goes off to talk about how you can't do that. For they cannot do the things they attempt. Human nature is far too weak to resist the devil by its own powers. He holds as captive everyone who has not been freed through faith. There is need for Christ's power against the devil. For we know that for Christ's sake we are heard and have the promise. We may pray for the governance and defense of the Holy Spirit, that we may neither be deceived in error nor be pushed to anything, do anything against God's will. Psalm 68, 18 teaches this very thing. Quote, you, ascend, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. Christ has overcome the devil and has given to us the promise and the Holy Spirit in order that by divine aid, we ourselves may also overcome. Now, I want to talk more about, I mean, there's more here too, but what's he talking about overcoming though? Because you could hear this very easily as, okay, so before I was a Christian, I couldn't keep the law, but now that I'm a Christian, I can keep the law because I got Jesus. Yeah, that is something that sometimes we hear in the church, but it's not just that, um, that I can go ahead and live a great Christian life now because I have Jesus. Uh, Jesus is not a means to an end. And a lot of times we like to, uh, our sinful flesh wants to turn Jesus away from the Savior into being the support network. Hmm. And that Jesus will give us the logistics and he will give us the tools so that we can put aside the, the Christian, uh, we can put aside our sinful nature. But that's not what the psalm is teaching. It's not what the rest of Scripture teaches. It's not what the Book of Concord teaches. Because here it is Christ has overcome sin, death, and the devil. He has taken that sin, uh, which before we were talking about, as the law speaks to you, it speaks directly to you. This is your particular sin here. And Jesus says, yes, I acknowledge that that was your particular sin and I have removed it as far as the East is from the West. And I have overcome that sinful nature and put it away. And so Christ has indeed overcome our sin and our sinfulness, not as 
a support system, but as a savior and has set us free not to go do whatever it is that we want to go do, uh, you know, party hard, but rather to come and to set us free to be slaves to Christ, which sounds completely completely and totally counterintuitive to my sinful flesh. So the overcoming is far less the victorious life and looks a lot more like somebody kneeling on a Sunday morning receiving bread and wine. That's them overcoming sin. But this hardly results in them wanting to do more evil. If anything, it leads them to desire to do more good. Right. We pray with Paul. O wretched man that I am, who will save me from the body uh, from this body of death? Jesus Christ, my Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Exactly. Yep. And as he also writes, St. Paul also writes, it's no longer I who live anyway, but it's Christ who lives in me. I mean, it, it is in that living in his flesh and blood mm. that these re- these good works can't help but result in. Oftentimes we're somewhat unaware of them as they happen. What tends to happen is a commingling of the law and gospel too. And, and we, we have a real tendency in our human nature to kind of muck that up, make mm-hmm. a mess of it. And, uh, and, and that's really quite unfortunate because it, if we take Jesus and make him into a way that we we do these good works, uh, whether they're the ones that we desire to do ourselves or, or anything, I mean, if we kind of use this this means that we were just talking about there, it makes Jesus into a lawgiver. And that's not what he came to do. Again, where where's our starting place? Our starting place is in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, Christ Jesus for sinners. And on the commingling of law and gospel. And as this past Sunday was the commemoration of my beloved teacher, CFW Walther, uh, teacher through his writings. Oh, he got cut off again. Oh, he got cut off. Fisk, you're oh, killing me. Man. It's a rough day here. It's the law that kills you, Pastor Smith, not Pastor Fisk. Uh, Both are killing me right I now. I give it back. I want to hear yeah. Walter. I'm all for all Walter. All right. <laughs> so Walter had this to say about uh, this, this relationship. He says, the gospel does not say that you must do good works. Rather, it fashions us into human beings, into creatures who cannot help but serve God and fellow human beings without doubt, a precious effect. I mean, I love his language there. It Mm. fashions us into this. The more you go to the communion rail and receive Christ's body and blood, it fashions me into one who cannot help but do these good works. I've used the image uh, several times, almost every show we've been on the last couple months or so of the, uh, uh, it's like a fire, right? The the more we feed upon the fuel of the real gospel, the true Mm. gospel, Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of my sins, the more I cannot help but produce the effects of heat and light. That's what a fire does, right? That's the good works. So the deeper we grow in the gospel, the more sanctified we become. But the more that we try to use Jesus toward a means towards that sanctified life or things like that, um, actually, the, the more we beat ourselves up with the law and the more we'll fail. Yeah, something does not become good by doing good. Something does good because it has been created good. Being broken and fallen as we are, we need to be redeemed good, right? And brought back into that goodness. We can't do it ourselves. So as 1 John 3, did you, did you ever, I missed nope, you. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so as 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Again, we teach not only how the law can be kept, but also how God is pleased if anything is done. This is not because we satisfy the law, but because we are in Christ, as we shall explain shortly. Therefore, it is quite clear that we require good works, which is, that's their whole point again, right? The, the main point he's trying to drive at is that we're not against good works. In fact, we also say this, our love for God, even though it is small, cannot possibly be separated from faith. For we come to the Father through Christ. 
When forgiveness of sins has been received, then we are truly certain that we have a God. That is, that God cares for us. We call upon him, we give him thanks, we fear him, we love him. As 1 John 4.19 teaches, we love because he first loved us. Great stuff there. Um, the, the piece that I, I didn't really pick up on uh, back back in that that First John three eight quote, destroying the works of the devil, right? And this is uh, this is where the the attack of self justification against faith isn't just a matter of like kind of picking and choosing your place to emphasize the Bible. When you attack faith in God's word, you ultimately attack both law and gospel, and you ultimately attack all goodness whatsoever. The devil didn't come to, to make a bunch of murderers and adulterers. That wasn't his, his plan. His, his goal was to make unbelievers, right? And so it, it's, it's rooted so much more deeply than a list of to-dos and to-don'ts, as opposed to understanding that the gospel, you want to destroy the works of the devil, <laughs> forgive sins. <laughs> mm. And you can even see this in, in human community, right? You want to destroy a conflict? forgive sins <laughs> and it changes everything right yeah that reconciliation that uh, sometimes we see in human communities is seen even more clearly between christ and his church it is here in the forgiveness of sins in the means of grace in the proclamation of the gospel that unbelief is chased away uh, when the light of the world chases away the darkness of this present age and that is exactly what we continue to hope and to pray for as we pray the lord's prayer and continue to confess that gospel truth we carry on uh, confident that our loving god and father will drive away the evil one and enlighten us with the light of his christ yeah in your opening you mentioned uh how um this brought light to the dark ages and mm -hmm. i uh, although you keep turning my microphone off on me. No, I, I wanted to jump in there and say, oh, were you talking about yesterday or this morning? Because we're, we're still in the same problem as we live in these last days of sore distress. We we really have these same issues going on and on again. Uh, I'm, I'm caught up currently in one of those dreaded Facebook discussions, which <gasps> Peter Slayton gets to deal with all day yes, long for his job. They're my favorite. Uh, I do not uh, envy you, brother. But uh, Just yeah. never hit return. Yeah. Just don't ever <laughs> don't hit return. Right. Oh. But, <laughs> but, you know, it, it really is still there. You know, how do we approach God's word? You know, and and, and the on this particular discussion, you know, the, the sacraments and God's word, it's all, you know, to be done to God's glory and obedience to those things. Well, if that's your starting place, mm. then you're arriving at some other conclusion. But if you start at the, the article of justification that, uh, you know, I, I need peace with God and only the forgiveness of sins delivers that to me. Now I begin to see God's word as training me in righteousness and so forth. But it it grounds me in, in the fact that my sins are forgiven. I have peace with God. He mm -hmm. has loved me so completely. I, of course, will love him and everything he's about. Is it? Which which of the Calvinist catechisms is it that begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? The Westminster. Yeah, Westminster. Westminster. And the answer is to glorify God. And I've always had a problem with that. I always have a problem with uh, Lutherans quoting it, too, because the chief end of man is not to glorify God. The chief end of man is to receive from God. We were made to receive, not to give. Yeah. And it's such we're a... We're the bride of Christ, and the bride yeah. always receives. Oh, amen to yeah. that. i got to take us to a break here. Not trying to cut you off there, Pastor Smith. Thank you. We're listening to Concord Matters. Give us a call, 1-800-730-2727. We'll be back with more of the apology on the other side of this break. Worldwide KFUO salutes our day sponsor on this Tuesday, May 9th, 2017. Today's day sponsor is Mary Jones. 
Today's day sponsor has made a contribution to Worldwide KFUO to the glory of God and in thanks for his many blessings throughout the years. Once again, we say thank you to Mary Jones of Brentwood, Missouri, today's Worldwide KFUO day sponsor. So what are you doing the last week of July? How about spending it with a bunch of fellow Lutherans at the 2017 Institute for Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music on the lovely campus of Concordia University, Chicago. You'll be singing, praying, learning, loving, and growing together in the Lord. The Institute is for everyone who's passionate about worship. The theme this year is the Just Live by Faith. Make it plain in sermon, service, song. There'll be a hymn festival, concert by National Lutheran Choir, insightful keynotes by David Peterson, William Swirla, and Kevin Hildebrandt, tons of workshops covering the gamut of worship, and you get to hear Daniel Gard give us the goods on the book of Habakkuk. Yeah, you want to be there. July 25th through 28th. You'll be so glad you did. Register today at www.lcms.org slash worship institute. Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Worldwide KFUO invites you to start and end your day with the Word of God and prayer with morning prayer at 9 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Weekdays on the Messenger of Good News, Worldwide KFUO. The world's oldest known Jewish prayer book with only 50 pages is small enough to hold in your hand. When the discovery was announced in 2013 by Steve Green, chairman of the board for the soon-to-open Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., he said, this artifact may very well be the earliest connection today's practicing Jews have to the roots of their rabbinic liturgy. With textual topics as diverse as apocalyptic writings and the Passover Haggadah, including benedictions and daily prayers that may have been recited by observant Jews. Dr. Jerry Pattengale, Executive Director of Education for Museum of the Bible, described the prayer book as what most of the Jewish community would be in touch with on a daily basis, creating a connection between the Bible and their daily worship. Engage with the Bible in its impact over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO, looking to be of one mind in Christ by paying close attention to his word and listening to the church that's gone before us as they have same said it. They have spoken it again. They have confessed it. Lutheran confessions being a a norm which is norm that is a, a standard which has been standardized by the scriptures themselves and so we believe as Lutherans and Missouri Synod Lutherans we believe that it is worth testing our faith by it because it's going to point us back to scripture it's going to point us back to Christ that's what we're talking about scripture Christ and justification by grace through faith in apology article 5 or 3 or 4 depending on how you want to talk about it paragraph what are we at? 22 now? I just moved No, we're at 20. 20. 20. 
I thought I got up to First John four nineteen. You did. We, we love before he first loved us, and so forth. In this, John shows that faith comes first, and love follows. Uh, Pastor Smith, right before we went to that break, you had quoted a marvelous hymn. Apparently, it's not good enough to be your favorite. It's only it's number two. Good enough to be number two. Yeah. I, I, you know, I say I, I don't even go that route. I just am like. I think this is my favorite hymn. Like whenever I have one that I got to share, it's probably my favorite hymn. And so it's like a lot of them. It's, it's really frustrating to those of us who prefer order. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, I can show you order. <laughs> uh oh. Oh, here comes but the He's going to tyrannize again. I yeah. hear mute, it coming. Mute coming. But if you would be so kind as to share more of that, because it's just such a well, phenomenal hymn. Well, and it, it's Melanchthon's hymn. And I was quoting the TLH version of it, which I, I rather like its phrasing of it. It's very poetic and it has some other stanzas. But uh, in the Lutheran service book, um, hymn number 585, it's Lord Jesus Christ with us abide. And Philip Melanchthon, who wrote this apology of the Augsburg Confession, wrote this hymn as mm. well. And he here he once again disproves that we're not against the good works of obedience to God's word. But notice how he grounds it. Stanza one says, Lord Jesus Christ with us abide, for around us falls the eventide. Oh, let your word, that saving light, shine forth undimmed into the night. And then stanza two, where I quoted, In these last days of great distress, grant us, dear Lord, true steadfastness, that we keep pure till life is spent, your holy word and sacrament. I mean, he, he's, he's worried about keeping these things pure and actually it jumps down even stanza five restrain O lord the human pride mm. and cease to thrust your truth aside or worse or with some man-made thoughts or things would dim the words your spirit sings i mean just it's 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 a great hymn it's only good enough it for is. number two but and it's it, phenomenal and it almost seems like he's read the apology of the augsburg confession especially <laughs> paragraph 21 the next paragraph uh, actually echoes those same kinds of thoughts uh back again Okay, <laughs> that's a nice segue. I appreciate it, Peter. By the way, feel free to just go ahead and read it anytime you want oh, to. Oh, okay. Yeah? You want to do We're it? allowed sure. to do that? I should just take volunteers. Oh. It's like Bible study. Who would like to read paragraph ooh, ooh, 21? Ooh, pick Cricket. me, pick go, me. Pastor. Bill. I'm already there. Likewise, the faith of which we speak exists in repentance. I mean that faith is conceived in the terrors of conscience, which feels God's wrath against our sins and seeks forgiveness of sins, seeks to be freed from sin. In such terrors and other troubles, this faith ought to grow and be strengthened. And uh, ending the text there, I really appreciate, just as Melanchthon's hymn talks about uh, being set free in his word and sacrament here we in we are we experience the freedom we have in christ through the very means of grace it it really is a parallel kind of a text and and greatly appreciated i love in the hymn melanchthon again noting that the the threat is not my carnal temptations to to, to lust to covetousness it, restrain O lord the human pride which would do what which would cast your word aside right that that's the threat and so you want the law remains more than anything else love the lord your god with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and the christian can only can only pray that that his pride would be restrained if he wants to keep that law Thy will be done is not a prayer carnal man can pray. He has to pray, my will be done, right? And so anywhere where the Lord's Prayer is still spoken, you got to believe that the law, well, you got to believe, you got to hope the law is still believed on. Yeah. Yeah. My sinful flesh hates that, uh, hates that petition of thy will be done. Um, Absolutely. I I don't want God's will. I want my will. Yeah, exactly. That's that's basically what it boils down to. You need to repent of that. 
Yes, I do <laughs> regularly all the time. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, we're because smiling we and joking, but at the same time, that's like deadly serious. Yeah. Yes, we do. That that is the Christian life. Because if we don't learn to pray, Thy will be done, in a repentant heart, um, then on the last day He'll say, Thy will be done to us. Yeah, right? and that's how we get damned to hell. Here's your will. Go deeper on that, Pastor yeah. Smith. I, I mean, I, I know what you're getting at, but just in case the listener doesn't. Well, so, I mean, if, if we're so filled with pride, and I mean, that really takes us back to the Garden of Eden. That's the original sin, right? It's that pride that thrusts the truth of God's word aside, that we should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what Eve did. That's what Adam did, right? And... Um, and so if we remain in that pride and we keep going after our carnal minor carnal minded desires mm. um, and 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 we see at least four different times in scripture that I can think of off the top of my head God says he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble mm. right and and this is the the humble heart that we must have that we pray for in repentance, you know, restrain that pride, kill it, crush it with your law. That's, and and again, we can't be saying that the Lutherans are against this because that's why Luther begins with the 10 commandments in a small catechism. Not that it would give us the, the model of how we should live the righteous life, but that it would kill and crush us so that in humility, we turn in repentance to God and say, thy will be done. Let this be my guiding light. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. I think Pastor yeah. Dale's fixing a contact lens. And it's okay. very yeah. it is that distracting. That makes really bad radio. Yeah. I and, and, uh, now I'm losing Listeners, my Listeners, I am but sorry. Now, now I'm coming back, maybe. Uh, but, so, but if, come, if come we have to... our prideful heart, right, yeah. um, then on the last day, mm. we're, we're not going to receive that grace, right? We're not going to, we're, we're going to die in our sins because we have not been repentant. And so the Lord will turn to us and say, thy will be done. You know, your will that was so full of lust and evil desires, those carnal minded things. Your, well, to, your will it, to not be saved, yeah. your will to be without me. Right. Or, right? Yeah. Which your is our will, natural will. Your will to be God. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You want to be God. I will remove you from my presence entirely. Show you what it's and like. And you will be all that's left. Yep. And you are free to be God. Right. And that's what hell looks <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah, it's going to be really awful. Yeah. That's Still, that's hell. You're, you're outside the presence of God. There is nothing more hellish than that. But hey, you wanted to be God. Well, there you go. You got it. Yeah, and, and so that that then takes us to this this threats of the uh, and terrors of the conscience, the threats of God's wrath against our sins. I mean, the the law does serve that purpose, as we've pointed out, not to be the first and foremost how we live the righteous life that we may save ourselves, because that's really the ends that will naturally come out of that mindset. If that's your starting place, that the law is to guide me in how to live a good life, right? Then I'm going to arrive at a wrong conclusion. But the law serves the purpose of revealing to me the full extent of God's wrath. And when I recognize that, I I realize I need peace with God. Hmm. That's my fundamental question. And now what's the answer to that fundamental question? The article that the church stands and falls on justification, Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And then without doubt, a precious effect, as Walter uh, said, will be the the living the righteous life in Christ, in faith in Christ. Well, is it accurate to, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but is it accurate to say, like you said, the unbeliever, the non-Christian, you know, there's that law that condemns, which yes, we confess it condemns us as Christians too. But when that justification happens, when you've crossed over into that area where now you are a Christian, now this law, it does become a good thing. 
Mm. Whereas before it was only a curse. Mm. Now we have what we often call the third use of the law or the the right. you know the third function of the right. law is that it can that it actually becomes a gift. It becomes Which is only this for is the believer. Will. Only for the believer yeah. though. Because it's, it's the, really yeah. function one. It's the curbing function again, that guide, the third yeah. function is the curbing function again, but with the eyes of faith, we see it for the good that it is. It's the it's curb like, you oh, see before this you hit. Is good. Right. Yeah? You, yeah. You're driving along the street and you can see the curb and now it's a guide, so I don't hit it. Right. Yeah. As opposed to the first function is you that. You see I'm what gonna... it was protecting you from? You're like, oh yeah, yeah that's good. Great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, like, I like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. this well, is at the same time, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, at the same time, looking at it and saying, I still don't like that because yeah. I'm still a oh, sinner. And that reminds me. Of, so, what you said, you know, for the for the non Christian, that that the law is not good. There is an element in which the curb is very good, even if it never crushes you, because what it does is it drives. Well, frankly, it stops us from destroying each other, right? Sure. Yeah, and in some there of it's self-interested. Yes. yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. Marriage is still marriage among the unbelievers, and it still brings forth very good things. Right. Children n- not excluded from not, that. Not murdering each other is still good for the unbeliever. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Therefore, paragraph 22, it cannot exist. This is faith, right? Faith cannot exist in people who live by the flesh. That doesn't mean that you have flesh. We're not talking about the old man now. We're talking about following the old man as your primary source of truth. Faith cannot coexist in people who live by that, who are delighted by their own lusts and obey them. And, you know, I'll just talk about covetousness here. Right? I know with my own covetousness, it doesn't delight me. It frustrates the bejeebies out of me. I, I cannot stand uh, when I when I'm trying to fight against what is it this this month, trying to save a little bit of money, and and it's like okay, so I'm not going to spend extra money on food or on coffee or whatever. And every it's like it's made it worse. Now I like want to spend more money every time I see a cup of coffee or every time I see a restaurant. I'm like oh, I could go to that restaurant if I were going to spend money this month. My covetousness just has exploded by simply trying not to covet. Uh, and, and I think that's a Christian experience that, that we actually, it's not that the, the saving money one really doesn't matter as much because that's pretty selfish too, but 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 the, the idea that uh, the Christian is constantly struggling against what they know is wrong. They're, they're totally aware of this and that that struggle does not exist in the unbeliever. They're just content. What'd you say earlier, Pastor Ill? Um, they're they're well intentioned uh, as they pursue selfishness. Basically, it was a well intentioned selfishness. So. Yeah, <laughs> as as messed up as that sounds, that's exactly how it works um, among the unbeliever. That there's this kind of a well intentioned. Yeah, it's all about me. And I can put on this pious veneer of making it look like it's about you. But even when it looks about you, it's really about me. Right. Um, and and there's a selfishness. And I would I would like to say that's not uh, limited to the unbeliever. Believers are tempted by that very same thing too. Yeah, the flesh is still in us, mm-hmm. but it, it's all that's in the unbeliever. Whereas we have the spirit warring against it. I I have a challenging question here because this is something I'm struggling with right now here. Um, you know, we're talking about loving our neighbor and the law being a good thing, and I wonder. I, I underline this phrase, you know, who are delighted by their own lusts and obey them. I'm wondering, do we put too many things that belong in that category into this category of Christian freedom? The, really, it's what I want to do. And my neighbor says, hey, that hurts me, that offends me. And mm-hmm. I respond to them and say, screw you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's not... I'm wondering how do we put too many things in that category of Christian freedom? Probably without even realizing. I mean, yeah. my initial thought is that as Americans, we we live in a society that is built on me fulfilling my passions, and and 
in that freedom as Christians, we we benefit from this, right? Uh, but how much, I, you got to wonder, we verge on pietism maybe here a little bit too in my own mind, but if you had a, a Christian from the 1700s show up and see the the freedom that we wield as Americans today with our money alone, uh, forget lust, right? Just just think about what we spend, how, how frivolously we spend. You got to wonder if they would, if they at the very least would have to be confused by, by our behaviors. I don't know. What do you think? I, I actually, I want to, comment on myself just now because I realized what I just said okay. <laughs> because that actually could be offensive to our listeners. And so I want to immediately oh. apologize for that because I wasn't, <laughs> yes. when I said that, I wasn't thinking about it. And I'm sure there's probably somebody out there who was offended by that. And that was wrong of me to do that just by you being offended. So yeah. I'll start this conversation by apologizing hey, for that. Hey, you know, that's actually I didn't even a great think example. About it. No, this is... I that's was, a literal example of what we're talking about. Well, I know. It's like, that's, oh, that's I was just I was my gonna, own example. Yeah, that, that's where I was going to go. I mean, in, in the spirit of Christian freedom, right? Certain words that we deem as curse words that are inappropriate. Or right? vulgar in my case. Or, vulgar. Just vulgar. Yeah, 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 right. Um, really, that whole idea comes from Queen Victoria of England, Right, the whole Victorian era mm-hmm. era of things, and that's why sometimes when people in in the modern age read Luther, they're they're like Offended. they're scandalized. They're, yeah. they're like, "Wow, he is so vulgar." And I mean, I, I know actual Lutherans that are quite offended at how vulgar Luther is. And I said, first of all, you have to recognize the context he's writing before Queen Victoria of England, which influenced us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, with my red hair and love of Irish things, I kind of want to say I don't really <laughs> care about Queen Victoria of England. Uh, but yet within the, the context of considering my neighbor, mm-hmm. yeah. right, mm-hmm. this is where I must set aside my Christian freedom for love of my neighbor. And, and that's what you recognized in that moment, or right? the bigger is question that, is, is Christian freedom mine? Because right. that's to the, make no, it about the, me yeah, might no, be part the, of the, the problem Christi- to begin with. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. The Christian freedom should be directed at your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. when you set the law aside, right? Yeah. When you consider that your neighbor may be offended by this and thus scandalized um, by anything that you have to say. And if I love gospel, my neighbor. So, and if you love I'll your neighbor, stop. Right, you're, okay. going, you're going to work on getting that vulgarity out of your language. What a thought. Yeah. It's, it's the freedom not to do, but the, the freedom to refrain from what I am justly and rightly able to do. Do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What a thought! And it's, so it's, counter. It's, this, this is what Saint Paul and scary at the yeah. same time. <laughs> yeah, this is what Saint Paul talks about uh, with uh, you know meat sacrificed to idols. He says, "Of course, I'm free to do that. I know that it's nothing, but for the sake of my neighbor, lest it be a stumbling block, I don't do it." And I mean, we have these same tensions, especially in America. You know, things like yoga. Hmm. Right. And there's even things known as Christian yoga or uh, or what's the Taoist one that's like it? Tai Chi. Hmm. Right. You know, yes, we know that it's nothing, but those are actual practices of other faiths. And it could be a stumbling block to our mission and ministry to our neighbor. And so, though I have the Christian freedom to do those things, it's not about me. It's about my neighbor. And so it's probably better if I set those things aside, lest they Harry Potter's a always block. a good one in that category. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, some I, of it is where you do what you do as well and who you share it with and how public you are mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. too. Right. It reminds me of a, a scene from one of my favorite novels uh, that shows that this isn't just a, a current issue, but in The Hammer of God. And if you haven't read The Hammer of God, you should, because it's, Ooh, it's yeah, great. Good stuff. Yes. And he gets a, yeah, uh, Bo Geertz writes this, and he writes about a rector who gets a new vicar. And the new vicar comes, and he's all proud to show off to his new uh, bishop and his new supervisor uh, what all he knows. And he sits down, and he is asked if 
uh, and his uh, his uh, bishop asks for a cognac and I think a pipe, and yeah. and. Th- this young man, this vicar, is scandalized. Here, this pastor will sit in his living room and have a cognac and a pipe. And the housekeeper is tisk-tisking, and the vicar is scandalized. And, and he wants to put on this veneer of, well, it's about my faith, and I'm a believer, and I've given my heart to Jesus. And, and then it's quickly followed by uh, one of the greatest quotes uh, of, of Bogirts ever, of... of Oh, what a fine birthday gift indeed that you've given Jesus your heart. Indeed, it's like a man walking by the rubbish heap and he takes his walking stick and picks up that rusty tin can of your heart and calls it his own and puts it in a precious place. Because we think that by our own outward piety that we can live up to God's standards. And the fact is we can't. Mm, yeah. And and we can't outwardly do it or inwardly. outwardly or inwardly. It is out of a man's heart that evil proceeds, not simply out of his body uh, or into his body, as Jesus said. And so as we talk about that, it's a really helpful reminder. This issue isn't of of Christian freedom being something that we take somewhat selfishly and try to make about me, whereas it truly is about our neighbor. So we are right to remember our neighbor and to commend um, ourselves into our neighbor's care for this, of saying, I need to be mindful of what I do, not because of my own standing and well-being, but because of your well-being and faith. Yep. St. Paul is then quoted in the, the rest of this paragraph here, moving toward gospel, right? So right out of the statement like the, uh, about the centrality of, not the centrality, of the fact that we do not abandon the law, that faith cannot coexist in those who do not believe, he quotes, I got to say, I, 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 just like hymns, I always say this is my favorite Bible passage, but I think this probably is my actual favorite Bible passage. Uh, St. Paul, Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, and I was just, stop and let that sink in. There's no if, and, or but to this one. If you're in Jesus, there is no condemnation. None. Zero. Zilch. So too, he continues, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul is writing about faith. Ha! It's not about good works. About faith that receives forgiveness of sins in a terrified heart and flees from sin as a result, right? Notice the the faith causes the good work of fleeing for sin as a result. What's the faith in? That there's no condemnation for me in Christ. That's what my faith is in. And the result of that is I'm actually going to start fleeing my evil. Such faith does not remain in those who obey their desires, neither does it dwell with mortal sin because it grieves the spirit, right? If, if If the spirit is saying to you, oh, that was wrong, that needs forgiveness, and you say, no, I don't, long enough, well, then you're frankly just, Unbelieving, harder and harder and harder. Got about four minutes left here, guys. Batted around. Yeah, I'm thinking in, in here too. There's the, uh, and I, I just don't have it real clear in my mind at the at the second now, so I'm going to paraphrase it. But the Luther quote, and and maybe you can uh, say what it is ex- actually for me. But uh, the Luther quote about God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor. Yeah, does. it's pretty is, close. Yeah, it's pretty close. Okay, yeah. I'm close enough. Yeah, and but we I mean, all paraphrase it that way anyway. So <laughs> right. either way. Yeah. Well, it just that's what we all remember. On radio. Yeah. So uh, yes, th- this is exactly what I'm thinking here because you know if if we're thinking about these good works and fulfilling the law as, as something that I have to do for God for the sake of my faith and faithful living, God doesn't even want them. Yeah. He's done everything in Christ already. Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. And so 
by faith, I receive that work that Christ has done for me. But my neighbor does need me to fulfill the law. My my neighbor very much needs those good works uh, to flow forth from that faith. But again, where's your starting place? The reception of the love in Christ Jesus. Faith receives that gift. And, uh, and then that will produce the loving fulfillment of the law. And I guess that's probably the biggest mistake for the Catholics. And that's why Melanchthon really hammers this hard yeah. uh, in, in this apology here, is that uh, for the Catholics, it's all about what you have to do to satisfy fulfilling the law for God's sake. And, 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 we've talked a lot about today about fulfilling the law for our own sake. And that, that is also a temptation, but ultimately um, we, we, we got to understand that we're receiving, we're on the receiving end here. We're, we're receiving. And as a joyful response, we get to then go love our neighbor as something we can enjoy that we can love doing and that it's a privilege for us to do as opposed to this burden, this requirement upon me, even though it is still a requirement it's, in yeah, a sense. Yeah, it would still be a burden it's, sometimes. It's, yeah, it's still a burden, still a requirement, but it's not without joy anymore. It's not only that. And, because and this is the way life is supposed to be. And the, the way that I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong in this and, and I'm over harping on language, but the, see, the, the way I would try to emphasize that fact, what you're trying to get at there, is by not saying how now I'm, I can go love my neighbor. It's now I will. Because that's part mm. of the promise itself. I can know with confidence because there's no condemnation for me in Christ. I'm going to increasingly love my neighbor the rest of my life. Now, if my neighbor comes to me and said, that was really awful what you did to me, I got to take that seriously. That, that's a rebuke, right? That means that I have, I have my flesh has shown itself. But I can still rest on the promise that I'm going to love that person more. And that even in that moment of rebuke, God willing, I'll listen, <laughs> you know, as opposed to try to self-justify. Well, and that's what we've been talking about in the last two pages of this is that it's by the Holy Spirit that this is done. So that's, we, we, like you say, putting it in the proper perspective, this is not ever done without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Where does that come from? The gospel. That's where it starts. That's where it ends. You, O bride of Christ, receive from your good heavenly mm-hmm. bridegroom, and faith receives that gift that he has offered to us. And so we rejoice in that. And as Luther famously said, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith that saves is never alone. And, and that's really a good summary of all that we talked about today, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. But we still have time. <laughs> we still so have time. time. I tried oh. to bring it to the end. My apologies. Uh, what well, no. Lord, Lord, keep us steadfast in, in your word and curb those who by deceit or sword would wrest this kingdom from your son and bring to naught all he has done. That is, keep us steadfast in the word of gospel that we might be steadfast eternally in a paradise that will be, all we'll know is the law. We won't have to be told to do it. It's just going to be, again, who we are. You're listening Thanks to Concord to Matters. Amen. On Worldwide KFUO, Pastor Sean Smith. Smith, St. Paul Winehill in Emmanuel, West Point, Illinois. Pastor Peter Ill of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Mr. Peter Slayton, the subtle one, social media manager <laughs> of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm your host this week, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, the host of his time here on Worldwide KFUO on the morning, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. <laughs> Thank you for trying to be of one mind with us. According to the Word of God, we look forward to more in the future. Rock on. Rock on.